Lots of Bible reading today, so I went ahead and wrote up where we're going, assuming we have time today. Lots of reading. We'll start with Psalm 19, which was discussed last Lord's Day. Uh, But I'm going to discuss something different than what Bill discussed. Psalm 19, verse 7 is where we will start. Because I want to create as high a contrast as I possibly can from Paul. And then we will talk about how we reconcile these things. Because it's not a problem, but it sure can seem like one. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true. And righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. All right? David here, um, after we read last time the, the section on seeing God in creation, here. David is is waxing eloquently, right, about the goodness of the law, and what does the goodness, what does the law do to his soul? Well, he says it revives his soul, it makes wise the simple, it rejoices the heart, it enlightens the eyes, endures forever, it is righteous altogether, more to be desired than gold. All right, that's David. Now turn to Galatians. In Galatians 5.1, we have not technically gotten to this verse yet, though 5.1 is essentially the conclusion of the previous paragraph, right? which is very central to our discussion today. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What's the slavery he's talking about? Roman slavery? Sin. All right. Sin? Go to the previous paragraph. All right? And let's read this again, because this is what we read through last time. Tell me, uh, this is verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. Here's slavery. This is the immediate context. Clearly, this is what Paul has in mind. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written... Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Quoting from the end of Isaiah, which we will jump to shortly. 
Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, right, Isaac, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Remember, chapter divisions are not biblical. All right, uh, The chapter divisions were added much later. And so often you basically have to ignore them. And also the verse divisions as well. Right? I mean, because you just you got to read directly into that, that phrase. Because that phrase is clearly talking about, specifically, slavery under the law. Slavery, the kind of slavery that the present day Jerusalem is under. All right? Slavery that those who are bothering the, Gen- the Gentiles in Galatia, that they are under as well. All right? What a contrast with David. All right? What a contrast with David. And so we should ask, what's the difference between David, all right? What's the difference between David and the Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem that is enslaved? What's the difference? And I think I think I know the answer, all right? And I think the answer is well, it's it's really obvious given Paul's general thrust in this book and elsewhere. The answer is faith. All right? What does David have? David has faith, all right? We can't say, well, David's different because he has the Spirit, all right? Well, he, that's true, uh, but most believers in the Old Testament didn't have the Spirit, right? Uh, yet, there were many righteous. Or, if we would jump ahead, all right, to the New Testament before the Spirit was given, were there righteous Jews? Yes, certainly righteous Jews. Without the Spirit, Spirit was a gift to all believers, right, at Pentecost. And so it wasn't the Spirit so much in David. It was, it was his, his faith. It was him, all right? Now, that, that lines up very much with Paul, right? Because Paul's like, how, how are we justified? Well, by faith, all right? Who's our prime example? Faithful Abraham. He is our prime example in all of these things. So I think what the difference is, is, is ultimately um, David, all right, has, is a faithful guy. Was a faithful guy. Sure, he, he messed up. We all know that. Uh, but he was a faithful guy. All right? And therefore, could the law help him as a faithful guy? Absolutely. Right? The law is good. God gave it. All right? Law is perfect. God gave it. The problem, as you see in Paul, if we have time, we'll go read in Romans. Um, the problem isn't the law. The problem is man. All right? Man who gets the law has a problem with sin because he's a man and he has flesh. So that's the problem. There's not a problem with the law. That, I think, is generally true. But now, what I want to do is, I want to go to Isaiah. Because, if you read Isaiah in a larger context than which the little bitty piece here is, is given for us. All right? uh, I think we get a really good theological presentation on why, after Paul sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, all right, I think you would totally read these chapters very differently. All right? So, if you would, turn to Isaiah 52.
No, I wrote that down. I wrote it down right up there, 51. That's actually where we're going. Isaiah 51. Because um, you've got you to approach this, you've got to think about this historically. All right? If we think about the pattern of God's working with his people, all right, where's David? All right, David, all right, he and Solomon are like at the height of the power of the kingdom, all right? The kingdom, what kingdom? The kingdom of God on earth, the physical kingdom of God in Israel, all right? David is faithful. He is, generally speaking, David, generally speaking, leads the people rightly. Solomon does so for a time, but then himself falls. And after that, Israel is, it splits up, and both the northern kingdom, Ephraim or Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah, have all sorts of problems with sin, occasionally punctuated with a righteous king. All right? Then disaster comes, as we all know. Assyria comes and takes the northern kingdom captive. Babylon comes and takes this this southern kingdom captive. And it's in this context that we have to read and understand Isaiah 51. Okay? Because ultimately we're we're post David, all right? We're post David at this point. The law, even though it is a good thing for the people of God, uh, history has shown the nation could not keep it, right? It just, it it did not work out well for them at all. It worked out better when there was a righteous king, all right? There was a few of those, as we said. Uh, But when there was no righteous king, uh, the people just couldn't keep it, all right? And ultimately, they just kept getting worse and worse, and God sent them into exile. So, let's read. Isaiah 51, we're going to start in verse 17. So, uh, this is specifically in the context of the Babylonian exile. This, is, uh, this would be probably a little bit more Judean than it would Israelite, though it, it fits for both. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, who Paul had said was in slavery, right? Interesting. You, have, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. This is specifically talking about the Babylonian exile. All right. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has born. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. Is that a reference to a lack of a good king, perhaps? These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword. Who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, that's the second one's the covenant name, Yahweh. Your God who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more. And I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, Bow down, that we may pass over. And you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. And so the Jerusalem, all right, not physically, physically the city, sure, but more importantly, the people of Jerusalem. This is representative of the nation. They are drunk, all right? They are drunk because they've been drinking the wrath of God, all right? And then now he's like, I'm going to take that cup, 
it is now time to stop tormenting you and give it to your tormentors because it is now time to judge Babylon. Okay, that's the context. We've got a problem here, all right? We've got a problem here. God says, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start blessing you. All right, that's, this is where we've got to go next. The question is going to be how. And if you're Israelite, all right, what's the problem? The problem is, if you're just a, a, a Judean, okay, the problem is we have the law and we haven't been keeping it. And so therefore God put us into exile. What are we going to do? How are we going to solve this problem? We're going to keep the law better. That's how we solve this problem. All right? We will keep the law better, and therefore uh, we will not come under the Deuteronomic curse. This is an, a very um, natural way to respond to this. All right? Very natural way. All right? As it turns out, historically speaking, that's not the way. But that is exactly what they would think to do. So let's read on. Awake. We're in fa- uh, chapter 52 now. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. But now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Why? Well, because the general idea would be if God's people were defeated, then God himself is defeated. That would be the assumption. All right? when, when God lets his people get conquered by the Babylonians, God's own name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak, here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now this, quote, this is quoted by Paul in, in Romans chapter 10. All right. Notice here the idea, right? I mean, if, you're, if, you, if your nation and your God has been defeated, all right, Whose God reigns? Well, clearly the other nation seems to reign, right? And this is, this is the opposite of that. He's saying, here's good news. Your God reigns. All right? This is good news. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Babylon. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves. You who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Where, what does it mean, you shall not go out in haste? All right? It's not that they don't, don't run, don't, don't hurry. What's, what's the meaning? Yeah, it's... it's it's, it's a peaceful leaving. It's not like, ah, oh, we're running from our enemies. It's like, 
No, you're going to carry the vessels of the Lord back. All right, you're going to go out not in haste. You're going to go out at a, at a reasonable pace. Right? Okay. So we know blessings going to come. All right. Now, if you're if you're Paul, all right. If you're Saul, all right. And you're reading this, all right? We're going to get, God is going to bless us, bring us back to Jerusalem, all right? How are we going to basically keep the problem of transgressions becoming a problem again? It is to keep the law and be, do, be even more zealous for the law, all right? And even if people aren't zealous for the law, we should kill them. Because if we don't kill them, then God might kill all of us, all right? That would be. A reasonable mo for Saul, the Pharisee. All right, we need to kill these Christians because they are going to cause the wrath of God to come upon us because they are not following the law, or they are following this false Messiah. All right, what's the real solution to the problem? Is is going to be what we're going to go to right now, which is the next verse, and this is what I think Paul would would reread this as a as a post Damascus event post-road to Damascus event and reread this very differently. All right? Uh, 52, verse 13. We still haven't gotten to that verse that, we've, that Paul quotes. But we will get there. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were... And think about this. Switching to a singular servant. All right? He's just been talking about Jerusalem. All right? He's been talking about the whole people. What's going on here? As many uh, were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. That's a law reference. Purification. All right? For those who don't know. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as, for, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, because he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All right? Note, note the, the thing here, right? People are looking at whoever this person is, thinking that they are receiving judgment because, God's, because of God's anger. All right, against that person, and that is not the case, right? Because it says here he was pierced for our transgressions, not his own. Okay, all we like sheep have gone astray; we have turned everyone to his own way. Exile, right there. All right, exile. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, in other words, what's the solution to the sin that gets us into exile? 
a servant needs to come and take that iniquity, right? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Okay? And so Israel's got a major sin problem, and God is going to bring them out of the sin problem. How, is, how are we going to fix the fact that it is a great deal of sin in Israel? By a servant who will take the sin, all right? Who will take all of that sin and take all of that punishment for them. And then we would be reasonable to ask, what will be the result of that? And we have it. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor... For the children of the desolate one will be no more, excuse me, excuse me, sorry, will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Why, why does the tent need to be, when do you need a bigger, a larger tent? When you got more people, all right? It's, it's the theme here, all right? Oh, desolate one. Who is the desolate one, all right? When Paul's reading this, all right, because that's the verse he quotes, right? When Paul's reading this, he's reading Jerusalem above, all right? That's what he's reading there. The Jerusalem above is the desolate one, but not any longer, all right? The Jerusalem above uh, will be blessed. Who was, um, in, if we go with our our analogy, all right? Who was the desolate one between Sarah and Hagar? Sarah, all right? Sarah is an image of the Jerusalem above. Sarah is the desolate one. Didn't have any children, all right? And was way past the age of bearing children, all right? She was the desolate one. The Jerusalem above was the desolate one. But here in Isaiah, all right, we have a sequence where we see Historically speaking, the, the, the failure of the people to keep the law, and therefore they are sent into exile. And so God is going to bring them out, and he's going to solve their problem with their sin, and it's not through the law. All right? He's going to solve the problem of their sin through putting the punishment for their sin on someone. Jesus. Right? Jesus. So he will take their sin. And what will be the result of that? The result of that will be the children of the desolate one. All right? The captured Israelites, the, the Judeans who are suffering. All right? The Jerusalem above. 
all right, the true church, they were many children, all right? Not physical children per se, spiritual children, all right? That Jerusalem is going to get big, so big that your current tent's not big enough. Time to upgrade your tent, all right? Bigger tent, pull the ropes out further, you're going to have more people to bring in. So now please go back to Galatians. So that's the context. And once again, you know, you got, it, it's sometimes very helpful to just read things without chapter breaks. All right? That right there forms a coherent the- theological right, flow. And if we think about Paul's theology, right, what is the solution in Galatians to the problem of sin? It is actually the servant. It is actually the Son of God. All right? Taking the sin of his people on himself and not. That is the solution. And so... So true. Alright? That is... That's how it's solved. And so when we get here, let's reread through verse 21 and and go through it. Alright? We can see, I think, how this informs Paul. Alright? Or at least certainly fits in with the argument very well. Tell me, you, you who desire to be under the law... Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. And the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar, right? Children of slaves are still slaves. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai and Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Rejoice, for it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear Sarah, but more importantly, not Sarah, the people of God, the church. All right? Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. And of course, that right there is a reference all right, to Paul's own former life. All right? But also a reference to general Jewish persecution. I think also very clearly here, in this case, a reference to the Judaizing people who had come and tried to change the mind of the Galatians. All right? This is definitely there. In, in this, this is the whole point of the letter. All right? And so who are the slaves? Those who are putting themselves under the law that don't, that don't need to be under the law. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman. Cast out those false teachers. All right? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Okay? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. 
you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. All right? And that right there is really the foundation of, of Paul's ethical teaching. Faith working through love is ultimately how you fulfill the law. All right? Fulfill the law of Christ. And we get to that later in Galatians. So that's the context of, and that I think is the, the last time, except for continued mentions of circumcision, all right, um, the last time where we see uh, Father Abraham mentioned, all right, and that whole situation from Genesis mentioned in Galatia. Since we've gone through so much of Galatians, I do want to just go ahead and finish the book while we're here. Uh, but before that, we're going to end today on uh, reading some from Acts 15, 16, and uh, 21. You know, last time we had a discussion about uh, Messianic Jews, all right? And um, when is it when is it okay to follow the follow the law, all right? There's there's a couple instances in Acts where we get good concrete examples of what should be done, and so I figured, hey, let's read those, all right? Because clearly in Galatia, I mean, the problem there was um, some Jewish people were coming in saying, "If you're going to be real, if you're going to be real spiritual children of God, if you're really going to be a Christian, you have to obey the law." And that's exactly what Paul's saying: is like, no, actually, don't put yourself back under the law. That is going back. That's rolling the calendar back. All right, you're going back in time, and you're no longer under Christ by doing that. Is there any situations where uh, it would be appropriate for a Christian to do something that, would, that is law-y, all right? Or accept circumcision. Is there cases? And there is. If we would, uh, let's look at Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Right? Here, here is our exact situation. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dis- dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And by the way, this, this event is discussed in Galatians itself earlier in the book. So this, this, that thing it talked about there is here. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now, um, you've got at this point, clearly, all right, a bunch of Christians in Jerusalem following the law, right? If they weren't following the law, this would not, this would not be a debate, all right? So you've got Jewish Christians there, Jews who've grown up Jews, grown up following the law, knowing they were supposed to follow the law, and they became Christians, and they continue to follow the law. I think that is, that's clearly an assumption of what's going, going on here that we have to make. And when they hear these stories, because Paul's talking about how, look at all this stuff that's happened with the Gentiles, right? They're receiving the Spirit, Right? Very much like the Cornelius episode. They're receiving the Spirit. 
Well, and these people say, well, that's great. They should get circumcised. Uh, verse 6, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Cornelius incident. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. All right? So, notice, I mean, this is a clear historical reference here. Peter's like, why are you trying to give them the law? Our fathers couldn't follow that. We can't handle it either. Why are you trying to put that on these Gentiles, right? That's what he's, that's his, his argument there. And also behind that, of course, is the argument of the fact that they received the Spirit, all right? And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name, and with the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. I think that's a quote from uh, Amos. Yeah. Therefore, my judgment. All right. So this is this is this is not Peter. This is this is James. All right. Talking about how the Gentiles are going to be called and redeemed right there. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Right. Putting the law in them would be a trouble. Right. We should not trouble them, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses had had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. All right? James is agrees with Peter, but he also says practical practical matter. All right? The Christians scattered abroad in the empire are going to be hanging out with a bunch of Jews, right? Because there have been Jews in synagogues all over the Roman Empire. All right? And so, for practical matters, let's avoid some things. All right? Let's avoid some things. Blood, food polluted by idols, sexual morality, food that has been strangled. Because there's all these Jews out there who, for generations, have been avoiding these things. In other words, I think the basic idea is these things are going to look... be extremely problematic with all the Jews out there, and it's going to be a problem. So therefore, just here's a list of things to keep them away. All right. No, it's not theologically any sort of statement like you must obey the whole entire law to be saved. Right? It's quite obviously not that. It is a let's be practical about this, and so they do that. Right? So that's the Jerusalem Council. Now. 
you might recall from Galatians, all right, there's the issue of, um, should, do we need to get this guy circumcised? All right? Do we need to make sure everyone who's going out and preaching is circumcised? And the answer was no. All right? and that was one of Paul's points. Do note chapter 16, though. All right? Paul also uh, came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. And they increased in numbers daily. Is this hypocrisy? You see the, you see the problem. Right? Is it hypocrisy? You just we, we just read in Galatians that you know, if you get circumcised... You have, n- you have no place in Christ. Right? Yet here he is, sacrifice, uh, sacrificing, circumcising, all right? getting Timothy circumcised. Is this hypocrisy on Paul's point? No. It's not the physical act of circumcision that is the problem in Galatia. All right? That's not the problem. The problem is basically saying, we're, we're, uh, Jesus is great, but not sufficient. We're going to go back and we also need to follow the law. All right? We're going to just say, you know, the old covenant is still exactly what we need to please God. All right? That's, that's a big theological problem with Paul. And Paul says, no. Anathema. Heresy. That's what all that is. However, you've got here a mixed race fellow. All right? Half Jew, half Greek. And he's well known because he has a good reputation. And his father was a Gentile, so he's probably not going to be circumcised. He's not, he's not circumcised. So, from a practicality standpoint, not a covenant, Jesus isn't sufficient standpoint, but from a, we're going to go be preaching a bunch, around a bunch of Jews. Let's just solve this problem. All right? Let's just solve this problem and circumcise Timothy. All right? And so they did so. This would be very analogous to the example that you mentioned last time. With a, if a Messianic Jew says, you know what? I have a lot of Jews in my family. I'm going to, I'm going to follow the law while I'm around them so that I don't offend them. All right? this would be, that would be, I think, very analogous to that kind of thing. All right? If you're going to have breakfast with a bunch of Orthodox Jews, maybe eat the pancakes rather than the bacon. All right, that kind of thing. Um, are you putting yourself under the yoke of the law? No, you're not. You're being practical. All right, as Paul was being practical, as James was being practical, actually. All right. Another example of this. Dad, yes, sir. Part of the following, maybe the law for that point. What did that go under the? I forgot where it was mentioned in the New Testament, but someone mentioned, "Do not cause your brother to stumble." Would that yeah. be another reason to do that? Yeah. I think so. And, you know, there's... You can see that Paul doesn't agree with, with on, on the whole stumbling thing. Paul doesn't actually quite agree with James on the food sacrifice to idols thing, right? Because if you read Corinthians, what's Paul's, what's Paul's opinion on eating food sacrificed to idols? 
if it's a good deal, get it. Unless, all right, unless it's going to cause people to stumble. James is like, let's just keep this easy. Let's just don't eat food sacrificed to idols, all right? Paul's like, there's more freedom than that, all right? There's more freedom than that. Um, it's fine. Unless it's going to cause an issue, then no, it's better just not to have it, all right? And so, yeah, I think it's, it's very much that. Because what you don't want is you don't want to be, uh, and this comes up in Galatians, um, more towards the, that we haven't read yet. Don't flaunt your freedom, all right? Freedom, the point of freedom is love and service. That's the point of freedom, all right? Love and obedience to God. Freedom so that you can do that better. Not freedom so you can go, Look at this, I can eat bacon. You know, That's not necessarily going to be the right way to approach things, right? And so, now this doesn't mean that, okay, therefore we need to just become uh, obedient to the law so we just don't ever offend any Jews. Clearly not. That's, that's not the recommendation from the Christians, right? We, have, we don't have any examples of that, and that's quite opposite of Paul and James. So we're good. We don't have to go that far, all right? But there are examples where they will do that. And another one would be, if you would turn to Acts chapter 21, and uh, this is where we will end today. You know, Paul, as it turns out, is a huge troublemaker. Huge troublemaker. All right, so let's see. Um, Paul's going in, going back to Jerusalem here at chapter one. You can see he's a uh, Rhodes, for example, and so on. In verse seventeen, when he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. And all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Same thing that happened in the Jerusalem council, right? Bringing good news. When they had heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are who among the Jews, of those who have um, believed, they are all zealous for the law. All right? So there's lots of Jewish Christians there. However, they're all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Does Paul teach that? We don't actually get that. All right? I don't see that anywhere. What he does, he tells, he doesn't, he tells the Gentiles, no, you, you, you are not, do not go under the law. It doesn't make sense for you. All right? Theologically, that's wrong. All right? But James is like, people are saying that you are going around telling all the Jews out there, once they become Christians, to stop being Jews. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. Now, Paul, does he live in observance of the law? When he's around Gentiles, he doesn't. Right? And that's a big point in Galatians, right? Peter himself was not always living in observance with the law when he was around, when he was around Gentiles. 
But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain. This is repetition. From what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification should be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them. Right? And everything at that point goes downhill, because this is where Paul gets... Paul causes riot. Well, he didn't cause a riot. People who don't like Paul cause a riot, and Paul gets arrested, and that's how he makes his way to Rome. Right? And therefore, we have the prison epistles, right? We have a number of letters from Paul written because he's in prison. Some of that is because of this. Okay, so it seems to be the case. I think the best explanation, even though we don't get in, in prose written by Paul, all right, here's exactly how I deal with Jews who believe. Uh, it seems to be the case, according to the testimony of Acts, Christian Jews were quite happy to continue following the customs of the Mosaic Law. All right? Even though Peter had said earlier, but we, we can't really fulfill this thing. Right? And that seems to be the case here. Right? And so from a principle standpoint, if you meet a Jewish Christian that obeys the law, I think we can say, okay, it's your choice. If they are saying, if you're going to be a good Christian, you have to obey the law, heresy. Heresy. No. Absolutely not. Not at all. That's very anti... That is exactly the problem in Galatia, and we cannot allow that. So that, that right there is, is the dividing line. Can you choose, based on your freedom to choose, to not eat bacon around some Jews to avoid offense? Yes. Fine choice, actually. Right? It's a good choice. But don't put yourself under the Mosaic Covenant as a Gentile. It doesn't make any sense. Jewish fathers couldn't handle it. Jews of Jesus' time couldn't handle it either. Right? Not necessary. Not necessary at all. Going back to Isaiah, there is a way to solve the people of God's sin problem. Alright? It's not law. Alright? It's not the Mosaic law. It's the servant who will take all of their sin. Right? Take all of their sin. So that they will be clean. Questions about Paul's argument in Galatians 4. That was a whole lot of reading outside of Galatians 4, but hopefully that sets this context. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is directly towards his argument, but in, 25, in 21 25, and he says this in Acts 16 2, and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality, mm-hmm. to the Jews it would have been pretty much. They would already know that you need to abstain from sexual immorality based on what was taught in the law. Mm-hmm. The Gentiles wouldn't have known that, so is that why he's putting that in there? To make sure they yeah. know, don't go and just screw around everywhere that you are traveling. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. It was, um, Gentile world was much looser in terms of sex than the Jews were, all right? And, and much looser than what God wants. And so James is like, that's a major problem. Let's just put this out front. <laughs> Fix your sexual ethics as a Gentile. Major issue for you, Gentiles. All right. Fix that thing. All right. And it, and it comes up a lot in Paul's, in Paul's letters, generally speaking. Well, and elsewhere as well. It's not just Paul. Um, but that would have been a major difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so, all right. 
I mean, and sex is a hugely important part, major part of life and society, all right? Let's just put this in the letter, just to be clear. So it's promulgated everywhere. Smart move by James. Yeah. You want these Jewish believers and these Gentile believers to get along. Totally. Right? And that goes and that's a message for both of them. Gentiles, don't flaunt your liberty. Jews, don't tell them they have to obey the law. Incorrect. So goes both ways. Both have to make a compromise from their normal activity. Alright? I mean just imagine. You, you, you've grown up all your life following the law. You become a Christian. It's going to be super normal for you to go, look at that Gentile. Look at that life. That's not a godly life. I'm going to tell him to obey the law. Totally makes sense. It's just theologically wrong, as it turns out. And they were all in agreement. Any other thoughts or questions? Okay, uh, your homework for next time. Um, we're going to go ahead and finish out Galatians. I don't know if we'll finish it out in next Lord's Day. But um, do read Galatians 5 and 6. And think about, alright, it's very important, think about theologically. What's the connection, alright, and all that material in 5 and 6, what's the connection with Galatians 1 through 4? Alright, because there's a lot of connections. Some very interesting details about the debate come up also in those chapters. But also, so think about those, but also the ethical exhortations. How is Paul's ethics built on his theology? Will be a topic of discussion. Okay? Okay, let's be dismissed. Um, Frank, will you pray for us, please?